Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Thanks, Emily. I first met Emily when I was doing a uh, guest lecture at Morling College on preaching. She was a live wire back then. And then I heard her preach, and I'm like, whoa, brace yourselves, world. So um, I'm sure you're blessed to be here, and you're blessed to have her. She's a delight. Thanks for the intro. So I'll talk a little bit about Christian Surfers. Um, it started in the late 70s. Many of you might not have been born then. So you might not know, except that the book Puberty Blues was on the list for HSC for a while there to read. Anyone ever heard the book Puberty Blues? Well, the girl who wrote it went to my school, and uh, we'll, we could have probably named people who were in the book. It was the world that we lived in, the community we lived in. Um, I, by nature of the guy I was dating, even though I still would tramps every weekend with my surfboard and go out in the surf, but he was very entrenched in the surfing community. In Cronulla, uh, where the train comes off, the pecking order is that the better the surfer, the closer to the train you can be. Otherwise, you've got to walk with your board, like myself, to Green Hills, <laughs> past all the jeering and everything else because you're a loser. Um, but if you get to surf at the alley, which is at the end of the Kingsway, then you've arrived in life. He was an alley boy. And it was around that time as an alley boy where he um, felt challenged about the fact that how you ride a piece of fiberglass determined your pecking order in life, and he had a sense that there was something really deeply wrong about that as they jeered people walking up to Green Hills. And then he had the opportunity to meet someone who was his own people, who spoke his language, who was a surfer, but was also a Christian, which was like an oxymoron for them at the time. <laughs> because it was. If your kid said I was going to be a surfer back then, you would be terrified because they pretty well would drop out of school would 90% uh, of the time end up on drugs. The clubs there were run by alcoholic womanizers, and as a woman, it was a terrible place to be. Uh, puberty blues was not exaggerated. And so into this world came someone who understood his world and spoke his language, and he thought there was a possibility that maybe I could follow God, but what about my surfing? And I, can I still have my surfing? A year later, after coming to faith, um, and I was part of this journey, What's the most exciting thing in his life and mine? Surfing. The right answer was Jesus. It's always the right answer. But the real answer was Jesus. So he surrendered his surfing um, for two weeks, which if you're a surfer, you'd go, no! But anyone else would go, really? Are you serious? Um, but in two weeks' time, this young man, Jeff, came to him and said, I've got this idea. I feel like maybe we should start a club that is... Um, very countercultural to the clubs in Cronulla, a surfing club. And it would be an opportunity to offer the gospel to a community that is broken and is desperate need of transformation. And Brett had felt that God had said, you can surf, but it needs to be to glorify me and honour me. It's now an international mission, which we never envisaged. The vision was, what are we going to do next Monday night? <laughs> There's 20 grommets coming. Ah, That was the vision. But God uh, wanted to take this message to the ends of the earth. And we get a sense of it here in this passage of the heart of God wanting to take this message to the ends of the earth in a language that people understood. But the first way that it starts, or can I say, that these longings to wanting to see a very broken community transformed, which was our heart at 17, we're only 18 years of age, longing to see a broken community transformed, is not unique to the Christian community. 
Alan Dubaton wrote a book called Religion for Atheists. You heard that? A deep longing to see transformations in communities. He was a kind atheist and a fair atheist because he thought, what happens in religion? I like what you do. just don't want your God. Can we have love feasts? Can we find a way to do what they do? Can we have some liturgy? Can we read some poetry? What can we do to have what you have? Seeing that what we had brought transformation. You see others, for instance, Nelson Mandela, Gandhi, weren't Christians. My Marxist lecturer when I was at Sydney Uni, third year economics, political economics, loved the guy. I still remember him, Dr Frank Stilwell. Probably because I wrote him a 10-page appendix to an essay where he said Marxism is the solution to the world, not capitalism. I kind of can see the problem with capitalism, but I think the problem is the human heart because we still have the Berlin Wall. Did you know that it existed once? In my world it did with all the barbed wire ants. not kind of working. Wrote the essay, failed. <laughs> I answered the question I wanted to answer. He had this, I remember him because of his passion for wanting to see. So, so we're not unique in that. What we're unique in is how we think the change is going to come about. That's what we're unique in. So the passage we come here is uh, a festival. It's called Shavuot, which has a few names in the Bible. The Festival of Weeks, because it was seven weeks from Passover that they would have this festival. It's called Pentecost, because... Uh, not because you get to speak in tongues, but because Pentecost is the Hellenistic Jewish term for 49 days, 50 days, which was the seven weeks from Passover. And you had people, there were three pilgrimages, and this is one of them, which is why it explains people from all over the then known world, the Jews, were all gathering for this festival. It was big. And they celebrated two things, really. The first one was a harvest, the coming of the harvest, to give thanks for the harvest being brought in. But the second thing was, and it's, not, it's hard to tie that in the Old Testament, how the Jewish community brought that about, but it was celebrating the giving of the Torah, the giving of the Ten Commandments, and Moses was rolling that. So it was covenant. So hold that thought that the festival where God chose to show up was a festival about covenant and a festival about harvest. Hold that thought. So what happens? I want us to reverse a bit back here to Acts chapter 1. And here is what Jesus said to his disciples. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus says to them, wait. I'm going to be resurrected. Don't form a committee. Don't start fundraising yet. Wait. Because the passion and the heart for this world that I have that you're going to be part of, you need power. You need power. You need outside help. You need to wait. Wait for the empowering, generous, gift-giving, fruit-producing, life-transforming Holy Spirit. You need to wait. You might say, well, Gil, thanks for that, but we have the Holy Spirit. We don't need to wait. Spoken like a true Westerner of the first world. We don't wait. But can I say that I'm challenged by that, even before we're into the passage we've read. I'm challenged by the wait, because we don't wait. I'm a talker, love to talk. What a great ministry he's given me. Hey, I get to talk without being interrupted for 20 minutes. I'll push it to 30. 
I often say that my husband hasn't spoken to me for years and years and years because he didn't want to interrupt me. Um, when I was in year eight, it was true of prophetic word of what my future might look like. My science teacher said, Gillian is an incorrigible talker, but my favourite is the French teacher who said, Gillian has marvellous language skills, but not in French. <laughs> so a little strategy I have is I just think when I'm talking to people or ask a question, I sit and they go, wait. Silence. Be comfortable with it. Because God may show up. In the eight seconds before that person goes, well, what I was thinking was, and they would have been robbed. Wait so God can show up. My incessant talking can get in the way of that. It has a good side. You invite me to your party. I'm fabulous. <laughs> Keep every, make everybody feel very much at home. In my family, around the dinner table, wait. Don't just go, well, that's all done. Up, 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 let's go. Dishwasher, get all done. Homework, just... Wait, the amount of profound conversations I've had with my children have been because I've learned to wait, which has often meant to learn to not be out too many nights of the week and not be too busy so that God has space to show up. Um, an international director who we, is one of our mentors as we've tracked in Christian surfers took on Youth for Christ at a time when it was not doing too well. He said, it frustrated him, but it was incredible that they said, we will pray and we will wait and we'll wait until God gives us some sense of what it should look like, even though he had all the strategies that he thought could work. They prayed for a year. I'm like, phew, I'm glad we weren't given that brief. It's challenging. Wait. He said, wait, because you need this power. So let's read here. Verse 2. When the day of Pentecost came, all the believers gathered in one place suddenly... A sound came from heaven. Did you hear that suddenly? They didn't know when he was going to show up. They didn't have a plan. They didn't have any blueprint. If you get there around 9 o'clock, it was 9 o'clock in the morning, and those people saying they were drunk, I bet you they were Anglicans. They know about alcohol, Anglicans. I'm from an Anglican church. I can say that. I used to be a Baptist before. <laughs> God cannot be conjured up, and he can't be controlled. Suddenly, he turned up. As I've driven out west at times to visit schools, there was, um, I don't know what church it was, but it had a big sign, revival coming in 135 days. And I'm like, whoa, look at that. You're conjuring God up. Okay. And it kept getting less and less and less. And then I stopped going and I said, we've got to go for a drive, honey, and see what's happening with the revival. He made this lo lovely comment. He goes, oh my goodness, you don't hold a revival. The revival takes hold of you. It's true, isn't it? Suddenly... We expect God to show up in ways often we want to control or conjure up. I'm challenged by this as an older Christian because I can look back in my heydays when I was all, you know, remember dancing at a conference on a table to the worship music, you know, two months old as a Christian, non-Christian family, public school. The next night they made this amount, there were some people dancing. It was a Baptist thing, you weren't meant to dance. And I remember looking at my hippie girl, we're in all our pack of wool stuff and all our hippie stuff, and I went, well, that would be us. I didn't notice anyone else dancing. thought we were going to have our moment of fame. He goes, it needs to stop, it's ungodly. <laughs> I found out 24 hours, he's a loser, you can dance. Read the Psalms. But I look back and I go, where is that girl? And where's God? Thinking that he has to keep showing up the way he did back then. Thinking that it's got to look like that. 
And there's a danger sometimes in ministry. This is how they did it before, so this is how we have to do it now. Not necessarily. Christian surfers is interesting because now surfing's mainstream. They use it to sell wheat bix. Seriously. It's a very different world now. It's all very cool. <laughs> Parents think, oh, they're into surfing. That's so cool. Not back like they were in the 70s. Well, imagine if we kept thinking that God needed to do what he did back then. It's got to look different. We've got to wait, surrender and listen. And not expecting God to show up. We don't conjure him up. and We don't control how he should do it. One of my most wonderful summers was reading church history. <laughs> Told you I was a sad and lonely person. <laughs> and it's this fabulous book, Bryce Shelley, Church History in Pain Language. Reads like a novel. Everyone should read it. And I remember reading that thinking, how amazing are you? At every generation, you raised up a people group, a person to raise a movement to get back to your heartbeat during the, the corruptness of the church, in money and paying for your sins to be forgiven, along come the Franciscan monks. What is that? During the 1950s church and then the 60s hit, who did he raise up? The Jesus people. See, I think they're awesome, but I guess you could look at them and think that was weird. But I thought they were fabulous. He, he, he will do it. I would never have thought of the Jesus people. And we can limit him when we think, we can control him or conjure up or say you should, it should look like this when it doesn't. And then he comes because we need him. We need his power. And the way it reads, it is palpable. A sound came from heaven. It was like a strong wind blowing. It filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw something that looked like fire in the shape of tongues. The flames separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. For those who are reading this text, the first century hearers, it's very clear to them, any time you talk fire, wind, you've got signs of God. God's coming. So that, that was intentionally using that or how God worked. It was like fire. God is here. And a supernatural event of being able to speak in the language of those around them. His presence is palpable. And at this point, I would say that when God says, wait, because you need outside power, it is countercultural. Because your culture will say to you, you don't need no one. <laughs> Probably not with that bad grammar. I'm in the wrong, I'm in the Christian surface world here. You don't need anyone. <laughs> You have the power within. Follow your heart. You remember Disney? Oh my gosh, if they said that one more time, I'm going to slap her. <laughs> Follow your heart. As if your heart is always going to tell you what to do. You know. And even though I believe in empowerment, absolutely, you don't sit back and go, I'm going to wait for God to show up. There's something where we've got to grasp that without his transforming work, there is no hope. Uh, I do a bit of work with uh, SRE. And uh, in our local school, they were bringing ethics in. At the time, they were bringing ethics in with SRE. Didn't have a problem with that. Had a problem with be it being called ethics because I thought that's not... You have hidden agendas. Do you have hidden agendas? But it's actually unfair because it's not telling parents what it actually is and admitting that, oh, yes, we Christians have done that as well, not being transmitted and have hidden agendas. But it's not ethics because parents think, oh, I can get good morals without the God bit. It was philosophical inquiry when you looked at the curriculum. And uh, it summed up by the sticker the lady who ran ethics, the coordinator, had on her car, which said, 
Don't you pray in my school and I won't think in your church. Just a little, just a little harsh. <laughs> it just sounds like, oh yeah, a cranky woman with that sticker on a car, but it actually reflects a philosophy and a belief of what might be called spiral dynamics or evolutionary progressiveness, which says that the human being in and of ourselves, it's post-enlightenment, we have the power and the ability to bring about the change we need. The problem is religion which shackles you because religion tells you how to think and if it does, it's bad religion. It is indoctrinating. It gives no room for freedom of thinking and you are in shackles and chains and you won't progress. So get rid of religion. Let the individual be free. (laughs) Didn't do that in the morning, did I? See, the more I talk, the worse I get. You've got to get me to your parties. By 10 o'clock, people think, oh, she's had too much wine. I'm like, no, I don't drink. Ah! <laughs> it's kind of like, how's that working for you? You see spiral dynamics where things are getting better. Actually, more p- girls are educated than they ever have been that we were aware of in the history of the world. That's fabulous. But other stuff? And can I say we need to be careful here I'm going to go over. Can, we need to be careful here. Because often, it, it might be more with my generation, but people would feel like, unless it's Christian, it's never going to be good. So they look at Gandhi and go, oh, how do I explain Gandhi? He wasn't a Christian. Oh, no. He had mixed motives. It was really all about him. I'm like, well, you don't know that. You're not God. And we all have mixed motives. Pull your head in. It's not true. You have people like Gandhi who are brilliant. Thank God that God raises up people like that. Or Nelson Mandela. We have our own heroes, Martin Luther King Jr. How do you explain that? Well, we all bear God's image. So God shows up in the writings of Christopher Hitchens who had such a strong sense of justice. Does that not reflect what God is like? But he's not redeemed and the writings aren't redeemable. brings about some change. I think Mandela would be heartbroken with how things are in South Africa now. Brought about magnificent change, but it didn't last. (laughs) Gandhi would the same, be heartbroken with his country now. Brought about magnificent change, but it doesn't last. I would see some who might even get out of alcoholism and turn their life around and they have some change. But the kind of change that goes for eternity... The kingdom that we preach and looking forward to, where there will actually be an end to death. There will be no more mental illness. There will be no more pain or suffering. There will be a lasting transformation. That's what we hold out onto. And so I don't diss where God shows up in certain writings that might be Christian. We don't have a monopoly on good. But what the scriptures do teach us is in God's good grace and because people are image bearers, we're not as bad as we could be, you know? We're not completely destitute, but we're as bad off as we could be because we don't have him. It's going to end for those who don't know him. Does that make sense? I think it's important to say when we talk about what it looks like to go out and how we clash. So people have longings, but currently today there's a strong resistance. You are the salvation of the world. You. And we have to go, no, we need outside help.
We need a saviour and we need power and one who can bring in a whole new kingdom that needs a resurrected body and a resurrected earth. Can't wait. Which means if you don't get to go to Prague now, it's okay because you'll get to go later. Seriously, I think that's why Christians can be sacrificial on many levels. Yeah, we don't have the mansion now. I'll have one later. It's not a biggie. Can't buy a house. Oh, well. I'll have one one day. Even a tiny house. I'm rambling. Let's go on. Because I like young people. I look at your faces and I like you. I was talking to them. So here's the, here's the main part of the sermon. <laughs> Three minutes to go. Talk very fast. They began to speak in languages they had not known before. The Spirit gave them the ability to do this. Languages of all there that were present, hearing about God's wonders in their own language. Here's two things I want to say about that passage in my last two points. God is inclusive. He didn't say, which we had for a while, you, I'm going to have the scriptures in Latin, not accessible to anyone, only the elite who can read Latin. And if you want to hear it, you'll have to go to a building and someone will do it in Latin and they might explain it to you. Not accessible. The Quran is in Arabic. It is not accessible unless you can read Arabic. But here is God saying, actually, I want you to hear about me in a language that you can understand because I want to reach you as opposed to you need to come to me. This is how we've done church in the past, my generation, Christendom. You need to believe, then you can belong, and then you better behave. This says to us, you do belong. By hearing it in their own language, there's a sense of, do I matter? (laughs) Do you care about me and my culture and my language? You're talking to me? You do belong, not in a salvation sense, but this sense of God's Genesis 1 and 2 heart for people. You do belong. Then you believe. And then you become. Become who he wants you to be. It's very different. This is what it is. It's inclusive. They heard it in their own language. I would say that what I would love you to consider what that looks like is how you are in your workplaces, how you are in wherever you are. And as a Christian church community, do you expect people to come here and they start to feel at home here when they get to know what holy means and they get to work out all the language and they get to know how to say things and do things and then we feel at home? Or do we go out and learn the language of those that we're with? and learn how to talk God's truth in their language. Let me give you an example. I would have five big things come up in a scripture class. Uh, One of them was a loving God shouldn't judge. I'm compassionate. Well, you've been told that. You're meant to be tolerant. You can't say things are right and wrong. You can't say anything, really. (laughs) And, And so, of course, God's judgmental. He shouldn't be judgmental. So I would say to them, so... So when he saw those planes fly into those buildings, this would be 15 years ago, September 11th, are you saying that God should sit there and go, oh, well, they followed their heart. They did what they thought was best. What about when you see bullying in the playground? Do you think God should say, oh, yeah, no, I I shouldn't judge? You you see what I mean? They get that. So you don't want to have a God who's indifferent. We do want a God who judges, but I get that your problem is there seems to be this thing about hell that bothers me. I'm like, yeah, because he's meant to be loving too. Let's talk about it. 
But what I hear is, well, God is holy, and it's like oil and water, the two don't mix, and really that's... What is that? It's not a language they understand. And I'm not saying speaking in their language and go, hey, yo, bro. No, that's not what it's saying. Learn the language of how to communicate a gospel in a way they understand. That's what the Holy Spirit did. And the second thing was humility. That uh, by not saying, you have to come here and understand our way and it's our brand and our way of doing things, but actually by learning the language of the other and communicating this way, and I'm not trying to pull this from the text, I'm just saying I think it would look like this, is there's a humility towards the cultures of the other. This is our Christian Surfers International Conference two years ago. And I learned from these people and am humbled by them. I learned from the American community, they're so can-do. <laughs> can-do, let's do it, let's go, go, go! You know? And I just think, man, I'm really easygoing. <laughs> really easygoing, I think I'm more Australian than Christian sometimes. <laughs> but I will also challenge them when I feel like, especially in the last two years of campaigning, uh, that what looks like being concerned about the kingdom of God is actually patriotism and the kingdom of America, and the two get confused. And to challenge that, I love my brothers and sisters in Venezuela who have taught me enormously when they've sat under a current dictator who is out of control what it means to trust. I don't know that. Oh, well, the world's pretty safe. The story of humility goes like this that I want to share with you. There's a woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. Do you know the story? Hmm. Here's how we teach it as first world Westerners who see individual responsibility. We're not community. And you take responsibility in sin and guilt. So it's often taught that here's a woman who's had five marriages not looking good for her. She must be shonky or difficult or, you know, wayward. And hasn't even bothered getting married with the last one. And the message is, isn't Jesus wonderful? He's brought the message of forgiveness to a sinner. This story was read to some Afghani women. And this is an account by a, a man who I've sat under and worked with. His wife was reading this story. And the Afghani women, you could, it was palpable. You could feel their response to this story. And they were overwhelmed with Jesus in this story. And we think, yeah, of course we are. Even, even he knows us and he still loves us and forgives us. But they said, for that woman, she hadn't sinned. <laughs> they didn't even think of that. That wasn't even in their world view. Women in their world, in the first world, didn't have choices. <laughs> They didn't choose to marry or not be married. <laughs> they didn't have choices at all. If she had five husbands, she had five men discard her. And the accumulative shame in her community of that. She was not the sinner, she was a sinned against. And the last one did not even have the common decency to marry her. But she would have been the one shamed, hence why she was at the well at lunchtime. And they heard that story and went, oh my goodness. Jesus covers our shame. We who are sinned against, we've got to hear from the other, haven't we? <laughs> we just impose our way of seeing things. We've got to hear from the other. So here in this passage, we have covenant. The Holy Spirit comes to bring in a new covenant. It's not a new story. It's God's heart from the beginning of time. But this is a new way of doing it. 
It is us, through us, the transforming work of the Holy Spirit and change in the world, which will bring long-lasting change, not short-term. So I want to challenge you. Do you wait? And will you wait? Will you expect God to show up in your church services? Are they so packed in? So Western, is it? I don't know. I've only been here, but get everything done. Oh, we're good. No, no room for God to show up. Do you give room for a prophetic gift, for prayer, for a thought that maybe I need to see somebody about that? I have this sense. Do we cultivate silence? Do we expect God to show up? And when I read this passage, for those of you who might not know Christ, he's a good God. Jesus died, rose, died, suffered, rose from the dead, and he wants to give you life. And can I say, we are far too small a thing to live for. We're far too small a thing to live for. Look at this. So I encourage you to go. Go in the language of the people you love and are with and see God at work. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.